Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 29th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is the next generation of lawyers. We are pleased to have with us one of the great thought leaders in legal IT, Dennis Kennedy. Dennis is an in-house counsel at MasterCard Worldwide in St. Louis, where he focuses on information technology law. Dennis has been called one of the most influential authorities on the application of technology to the practice of law. He writes the monthly technology column for the ABA Journal, maintains the highly regarded Dennis Kennedy blog, and recently co-authored with Tom Mile the book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together. His latest legal technology project is the Kennedy Mile Report podcast with Tom Mile on the Legal Top Network. We're very excited to have you with us, Dennis, because for as long as I can remember, I have been absolutely fascinated by your vision of the future. Welcome to the Digital Edge. Oh, thank you. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I always wanted to, to say that, and it's it's really a pleasure <laughs> to be on with you guys because you guys are really good friends of mine, and, and I think the one thing we have in common is I think that we think of technology as more about the people than the, about the tech in a lot of ways, and, and the friendships we've all developed have, have been, to me, the best thing about being involved in legal technology. Amen to that, Dennis. Right, Jim? Yes. Dennis, one of the most interesting books that I've read recently is Richard Susskind's The End of Lawyers, I guess with a question mark at the end of that, The End of Lawyers. Among the many topics he addresses in, in his book is his sense that we're moving from the lawyer as trusted advisor to a scenario in which much of law, not all of it, he never says all of it, but much of law becomes commoditized. Do you agree with that, Dennis, and how do you see this playing out in the future? Well, I, I agree with uh, Susskind's ap- approach, and, and I always recommend his book to people as a, as a great way to quickly get up to speed on, on what the real issues in legal technology are as they have an impact on, on the practice of law. I think, I, and I talked to Richard a little bit last year at, at ABA Tech Show, and he uses the term commoditization and he sets it off as in comparison to bespoke, the sort of British term for customize. And, and we talked very briefly about how commoditization has sort of a negative context in, in the U.S. that I don't think he really intended in the way the book is written. So I, I think it's probably easier for us to look at the comparison between customized or customized legal work and standardized legal work. And and I think the development is to is for lawyers to to treat those different time, types of work correctly, to kind of categorize correctly and treat work in that way. You know, if I'm getting new cabinets in my house, I might there's certain times I want to, might have, want to have custom work done much more expensive work done. Other times I want to buy something sort of off the shelf. And I, I think the development that he sees is the division of legal work into those two areas and then appropriately applying technology in each of those settings to help us uh, work better. So in the sort of commoditized areas, he would call it, we do look at things like document assembly, you know, online delivery of legal services and, and, a, and a standard, a more standardized approach, which I think 
frees up lawyers to do more customized work. And then in the custom area, you apply different types of technology. You may be some decision-making, software, knowledge management, those types of things. And so I think that's the change you see. And then uh, also different types of pricing in those areas. And as Jim would say, I think, you know, the alternative fee arrangements, flat fees, those things start to make a lot more sense in the standardized or commoditized area. So I think it's a really useful way to to not only think about the practice of law going forward, but what what types of technologies you would apply to the different areas that you practice in. Well, another change we, we see is about delivery of services over the internet. All of us have known some, some people who have discussed and championed this concept of e-lawyering for years, but using the internet to deliver services to clients now seems pretty much inevitable to many of us. Do you think our current rules of legal ethics are ready for this development, Dennis? You know, I, I really don't think they are ready for it. And, you know, I, th- I think that probably all of us were talking very enthusiastically about the delivery of legal services over the Internet, you know, even 10 years ago. And, and I think there was, you know, more of an atmosphere where experimentation was possible. And, uh, and I think the legal ethics rules were clearer than they are now. Now I think we're in a period of real retrenchment, which is sort of paradoxical. I think that as you know, the Internet has kind of globalized all of us and we have audiences uh, sort of all around the world, but definitely all around the country and a potential client pool, certainly nationwide for, for almost all lawyers. I think that the the state bars have really started to crack down and made it much more difficult to do, you know, more experimental ways of practice. The use of the Internet, the rules, I think, are a lot more difficult. I don't think they relate as well to technology as they as they used to. So I I think the trend out there is definitely toward moving the practice on the Internet. But I think that for you know, sort of a, we're at the, maybe the last stand, maybe the next to last stand of, of the real state regulations in, in, in tying the hands of, of lawyers uh, on using the Internet. But I think definitely in the last six months or so, it seems like there's been a, a real retrenchment in in the approach that the, the ethics regulators have taken to Internet practice of law. One of the things we've seen recently is real concern over law firm data security. We, we've even seen the Chinese break into a law firm network and, and with relative ease. Traditionally, law firm security has been fairly lax in all but the largest firms. Do you think, Dennis, that law firms will wake up and pay closer attention to security? And what changes uh, do you foresee? You know, I think if they read the articles that, that you and John write, they, they're going to wake up because, <laughs> you know, I mean, but, you know, Sharon, it's interesting. We, I think we've all been talking about security for years. When I would write my sort of annual article on legal technology trends, I would put security as, a, you know, as like a big issue. And we just haven't seen the, the movement that you would expect among, you know, in the legal profession. And but it, it has to happen. Law firms certainly hold lots of valuable data, and it needs to be protected. There's some, but I think consistently we don't. And I, you guys do work in this area, so you have a lot more knowledge than than I do of the types of testing. And, and there's some basic security practices you just don't see lawyers doing. You know, from you know doing adequate passwords to you know to doing the the white hat testing of of their systems 
two, two other things. So I, I think that there definitely has to be more of a focus. I suspect we're going to see encryption becoming sort of a default as a way to protect against sort of overall lack of security issues. Probably surprisingly, maybe to some people, that the, the security issues may lead us a little bit more in the direction of cloud computing. But I think there has to be a lot more attention paid to security in, in the legal profession and sort of just getting the word out and having people listen. But it's probably going to take a few embarrassing security failures before we see real action. I know Sharon is probably dying for a follow-up on that, but I want to jump to a completely different topic. I'd like to bring up document assembly. In many ways, most law firms don't use automated techniques to help them prepare documents that are much of an improvement from, say, 20 years ago. Do you have any thoughts about this area? You know, it's 2010, and I, I was talking to somebody, and, and I, I was talking about the original document assembly applications I did in, in one of the firms I was at to automate the drafting of wills and trusts, durable powers of attorney. And I said, oh, that was at least 10 years ago. And I realized it was actually 20 years ago. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of mind-boggling in a way. And and so last fall, I was uh, at a couple of sessions on hot docs. And it's really interesting to see how document assembly, how the tools have changed to make it a lot easier. But it's sort of the same same principles, same process, and, and the same benefits. And it's really surprising me, surprising to me that it hasn't taken off in a way that I would have expected 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago, I didn't necessarily feel I was at the cutting edge, but I sort of said, hey, this is sort of an in- inevitable thing, and I need to get on, you know, I need to get on this train to do this. And it's 20 years later, and people are still, you know, thinking about the same things and doing the same things. Document assembly is, is and I keep coming back to it. I was I was talking to law students last night at a, a program, and I remember saying that uh, I sort of feel like you kind of keep repeating yourself and do this. You know, you, you learn something and you do the same things over and over. So you know, my website, you know, my blog looks a lot like my website. Looks like my Twitter presence and social media. I sort of learned one thing, and and I kind of keep repeating it. But I tend to go back to document assembly, and I think with the the you know, the emphasis on alternative fees, you know, value billing, that sort of thing, document assembly really fits into there because it's a technology that supports new types of process, uh, you know, uh, the billing processes. And the other thing is that I found a couple of years ago talking to a client of mine that clients have the expectation that you're just pushing a button and generating documents anyway. So you might as well actually be able to do that because they, that has a negative impact on how they feel about your charges because they do feel you are using that, those technologies already. Yeah, that's certainly true, Dennis. Jim, I'm going to go back to, to my security concerns again. <laughs> to, he, to hear those who have partaken of the Kool-Aid, we'll all be computing in the cloud before very long. And I, I do have a lot of security concerns about that. John and I are often known as cloud curmudgeons. There have been so many disasters already in the cloud. What's your view of the future of cloud computing, Dennis? Well, I mean, Sharon, as we talked, I just I saw an article this or a blog post this morning about what was considered to be a sort of like a cloud computing operating system. I think it was called Ghost that's going to go out of business, and so there are a lot of issues out there. And I go back to the old world of of ASPs or application service providers, and it was you know in the late '90s I was reviewing contracts, writing contracts in that area. So I have because it relates to the legal work I do, I have 
kind of an interesting perspective on this. I, I love the potential of cloud computing, but I think that people go into it with their with their eyes closed, and there are a lot of issues. So I think you rightly point out a lot of security issues. I, I, I sort of always say on the security side, you want to say compared to what, uh, because in the, you may be in a cloud computing situation that's a lot more secure than, than what you're doing locally. Uh, so you need to keep that in mind. But I'm more concerned, not surprisingly, about the legal issues. So what are your service level agreements? You know, how do you transfer data? What con- you know, what do your contracts look like? What protections do you have if somebody goes out of business? I think it's really a matter that and with the cloud, you want to look, take a balanced approach and consider all the positives and all the negatives. And you got to have your eyes wide open. But I, I think we it's, it's really difficult to say that we're, we're not moving toward the cloud because I, I think the benefits are, are great in terms of avoiding paying for infrastructure, you know, having the op- updates occur automatically. You know, th- there's a lot of pluses, but I, I think both contractually in terms of security, a little bit of loss of control, you have to have your eyes wide open going into cloud computing. Well, that's that's one of the most va- balanced views I think I've ever heard. Very, very nicely done. As an end user, Dennis, the most challenging thing I find about information technology is how rapidly we see new developments. And I don't even have to keep track of substantive law. How can lawyers keep up with the pace of change? You know, there's this notion out there called the singularity that says that, you know, as with Moore's law saying that uh, technology or sort of the power of technology and computing doubles every year and a half or so, that the the pace of change is happening. So you get this doubling, you know, every couple of years and, and the double becomes a bigger and bigger jump as 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 you as we get out on that curve. And so I think the, the pace of change is, is tremendous these days. And I, I think it's if, if I'm finding it difficult to stay on top of things, I can't imagine what it's like for the, the lawyer who's not interested in technology. So I think you got to go to some, you know, get some good resources or, you know, there's your podcast, hopefully my podcast with Tom uh, that are good, you know, good, easy ways for somebody to keep up with technology while they're on their commute or you know, working out, listening to things. The shows, we're, we're coming up on ABA Tech Show, I think maybe not every year, but every couple of years to take in a, a technology show to, to get up to speed on things and to find resources. I mean, I learn things because I've developed a whole network of people who have expertise on areas and I can ask them. And it's probably the sort of thing where everybody needs to think that because there's just so much happening and, and, and so much change that's happening so quickly. Yeah, it's, it's like having a data hose constantly down our throat. That's certainly how it feels around here. Hmm. As, as we look backwards, you know, the use of computers has certainly revolutionized the practice of law uh, far beyond anything people once imagined. What do you see, Dennis, as the next revolution in practicing law? Well, it's you know, I, I think it's always tricky to use revolution in terms of practice of law because the revolution happens very slowly. You know, and stuff <laughs> that we all thought would happen ten years ago still is is barely starting to happen. I think a couple of things. So I, I think one is the sort of move to mobile. So with so moving away from using uh, computers so much to doing a lot more on our cell phones, the sort of always available access, 
and and real access, real time access, opposed to just synchronization of of PDAs. So we expect to be able to do work over an iPhone or smartphone immediately. So I think that's going to have some implications. I think there's going to be a huge push on what I call the client-driven side of technology. So what what do clients want us to do? What of their systems do they want us to connect with? We'll be you know, driving a lot of things. And then I think the gradual filtering of, of technology and the expectations people have about technology will change the practice. So like I said, if you look at document assembly, maybe it's not something you want to do, but if, if your clients believe that you're just pushing a button to generate documents and they want pricing that way, you're going to have to respond to that. Speaking of our theme, the next generation of lawyers, I, you mentioned visiting with some law students lately. Do you have any observations on how this new generation of lawyers is going to impact our world? Yeah, I have a few observations. I, I, Jim, I remember, I don't know, it was quite a few years ago when we, you and I were at Tech Show and we did a presentation on internet marketing. And I talked maybe for one of the first times about the idea of web presence or internet presence and maybe even suggested that people Google themselves. And it was probably one of the the most memorable times I felt that people in the audience looked at me like I was from Mars. Well, I talked about the same thing last night and these students were all over it. I mean, they 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 do know what the search results are on their own name and they they have concern about that sort of the biggest tip i gave everybody was the google now has google profiles and you want to claim that for your name and put your own information out there because that profile will appear at the bottom of a page uh, of a search on your own name and they're more concerned not about what is the presence so much as how can they manage that? How can they improve what's out there? They also have concerns about, you know, Facebook, social media, those things. And, but probably the biggest thing they have is they have a realization of how difficult this market is and how difficult it is to get into the practice of law now and and probably the bleakest economic times that we've seen. I mean, the statistics these days are unbelievable about the small percentage of students who are getting jobs. And so their approach is different. And so they look at technology as a way to differentiate themselves as the Internet, as a way to get information about themselves out to help them get into the practice of law to get jobs. And then also I think it's, you know, they're definitely more on the Internet, more mobile in a lot of ways. And as as we've talked about a lot, their approach to how much of themselves are willing to reveal on the Internet is a lot different than what what our generation is is willing to do. So a lot of changes there, but incredibly smart people. I always find the law students these days, uh, you know, I think smarter than than the, the you know, I mean, I was we, we, they're, we're a great people. Don't get me wrong, but I think in terms of the the credentials of students you see today, they're just amazing compared to us. I mean, I sort of went to law school because it was something I could do. These people are really focused, and and then they think a lot about the practice of law and and how it might be changed. Dennis, as I deal with young lawyers, I find more and more myself kind of sadly thinking I've got some really brilliant people here whose timing is just terrible. Oh, it's awful. And, and there's, it's possi- possible that the, the law students who graduated last year, maybe the year before, this year, will never, uh, because of the way the hiring system is set up, will never get the chance to work in a big firm. 
I think no, that's. It's, I think that's, it's just precluded. That's that's probably true, Dennis. I had to chuckle when you were talking about the students looking at you like you were from Mars, because I remember when we served together on the tech show board, we used to fondly tease you that some of your ideas were from Pluto. <laughs> so, you sure do get around the solar system, son. <laughs> As you know, Dennis, I'm a very big fan of the collaboration book that you wrote with Tom Mile. But I've got to say that I think with the exception of using track changes in Word, which most attorneys now do, I see only a limited amount of collaboration at the average small to medium law firm level. Why do you think so many lawyers have been slow to adopt collaborative processes? And and do you see this train picking up speed? Uh, tell us what you think. Well, I certainly hope the train picked up speed. But I, I think that what Tom and I would always say is that the, the main collaboration tool lawyers use is, is email still. And it's a flawed collaboration tool. So I, I think this, you know, I'm not that surprised, but I, I think what you don't see is people picking up sort of pure collaboration tools. And, and that's not surprising given the history of knowledge management and other collaborative things. But I think that if you focus a little bit on, on sort of collaboration platforms and tools, you, you miss the big changes that are happening in the, way, in the way lawyers do collaborate. So there's email. We're on Skype now. We could have used instant messaging to prepare for those podcasts. There's a lot of different collaboration tools. I'm looking at the the you know the outline for the show in Google Docs, which is a collaboration platform. So I think there's a lot happening that we're sort of just starting to take for granted and don't categorize it so much as collaboration tools. But yeah, I, I think that if you point to collaboration tools other than email and uh, and I guess probably web conferencing, audio conferencing, and to some extent video conferencing, you you do kind of come down to track changes as being a, uh, the most visible way people do things. And that's almost by default. It's the easiest thing to do. I've, uh, I've heard people say, I never want to use track changes. And I say, you know, if you have, if the other side sends you a document with track changes turned on, then you're using track changes. And so <laughs> part of the collaboration effort, I think, needs to be addressed to say, how, how, how am I the first mover? How do I set the stage for the way that I want to collaborate, especially if you don't want to do track changes, which I think is a difficult thing. But I think we run into it all the time. I don't know that we label it as much. And I, I think we're starting to see the breakdown of email as the collaboration platform and email is failing us in, in some other ways as well. And so people are looking to the other tools, Google Docs, potentially Google Wave, some of, some of those things. But collaboration, Sharon, is going to move us into the cloud. I mean, that's where collaboration really starts to happen with, with all the positives and, and definitely all the negatives that come with that. Dennis, I don't really recall being as excited about a technology advance personally as I am the last few weeks after I ignored the advice of my friends uh, Sharon and John and bought a new iPhone. It's just incredible the things the iPhone can do. Everybody seems to be convinced that the mobile web is really the next sea change. You mentioned it earlier. Do you think the computer of tomorrow really will be in a pocket or purse or maybe that science fiction concept or some implant? Well, you know... William Gibson wrote this great science fiction book, Neuromancer, I don't know, maybe it's a good 20 years ago now that, you know, talked about people implanting all these things into their body. And it was considered to, you know, 
sort of enhanced eyesight, all this other stuff. And you sort of thought, wow, this is way out there. Now it seems like it's it's here. So I, I think we're going to move to a couple of screens. That's why the iPad is interesting. There's sort of this notion of the, the, we go to three screens. So there's sort of like the TV screen, the computer screen, and the mobile phone screen. And now Steve Jobs says, well, the iPads fit somewhere between the laptop screen and, and the mobile phone screen. And so it will be interesting to see what impact that has. And I have some sense that it may take away from the TV screen, believe it or not, as, as fitting where it fits into what we do. So I'm excited about the area as well, Jim. It gives us that anytime, anywhere access, allows us to actually do things. Like I say, it's, there's a big difference between being able to do things right away and just to synchronize data. I mean, that's a huge change. So I suspect we're going to be more mobile. We're going to have that device. I don't know what we're going to be like, you know, my favorite science fiction TV show, Babylon 5, where they just had a little, look like a piece of metal fit on the back of your wrist and you were able to, to do everything and interact with everything through that. That was, you know, half implanted in your body. Uh, but I think the phone platform and perhaps that iPad kind of tablet platform will, will be a big direction that we'll go. Well, that certainly is a fascinating concept, and, and thank you, Dennis, for joining us today. It was great to have your vision of the future of practicing law, whether it's Mars, Pluto, or anywhere else around the solar system. <laughs> one of our, one of my favorite folks to talk to. Thanks. It's it's been it's been great. Like I said, the, you know, the people part of tech of legal technology is my favorite thing. So it's it's great to get the chance to talk with with you both again, and and hope to see you at ABA Tech Show again this year. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy.